Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit every other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. He didn't slam you, he didn't bump you, he didn't nudge you, he rubbed you, and rubbing son is racing. Good evening, race fans. Welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network, and welcome to Drafting the Circuits. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we go over this past weekend in racing and preview next week. Uh, before I do that, let me introduce you to the panel tonight. Uh, I have with me Mr. Gray Warren from Richard Childress Racing, Seth Eggert from Motorsports Tribune, IndyCar.com's Joey Barnes, and Christopher DeHardy, also from Motorsports Tribune. How is everybody this evening? Great. Doing good. Fantastic. All right. Well, great to have you all here. We had a, had a full weekend of racing, all three major series in action. Uh, Formula One was in Hungary, where we saw Lewis Hamilton take his fifth win on the season. Uh, NASCAR was uh, up in the Pocono Mountains at the Tricky Triangle. Uh, Kyle Busch matching Kevin Harvick win for win, taking his sixth win of the season. Uh, and in, in beautiful mid-Ohio, um, Alexander Rossi uh, put on a road racing clinic, two-stop strategy, and, and crushed the field there, his second win of the season there. So, um, uh, you know, those those are your winners of the week there. So let's, let's turn our attention to Pocono first. Um, now, Seth, uh, we had, again, like I said, we saw Kyle Busch take his sixth win of the season, uh, matching Harvick also with six. Truex is behind him by four. I mean, we've had, uh, what was it, back in uh, – 2008 we had three guys with five wins apiece now we're we're pushing that you know obviously Richard Petty's record of 27 wins in the season is not in jeopardy but I believe the most wins in the um the chase era is 10 by Jimmy Johnson so uh we we've got a pretty good battle between uh, Harvick and Bush there for uh for getting a bunch of wins this year huh that we do but I will say Kyle Busch did not have the best car at Pocono. Uh, he had a little bit of help when Kevin Harvick got into his teammate, Eric Almirola, on pit road. Uh, yeah, that kind of spoiled the day for, uh, for Harvick. He got a little bit of damage on the car, plus it put him uh, with some poor poor track position, too. And, he, of course, he, he did recover to, to get a good finish. But, yeah, it kind of... Kind of spoiled his car because it looked like he he had the, definitely had the strongest car up there uh, all weekend long. Yeah, he restarted twenty seventh with about uh, twelve laps to go or something like that. And the reason why he 
end up running into his teammate was because of the pit selection, which happened after Harvick initially got the pole and then was one of 13 cars, including both Kyle Busch and Almirola, to have their qualifying times disallowed because they failed post-qualifying tech. Now, this seems to happen more and more, the post-qualifying tech thing, and, and, and uh, we've talked about it on-air, we've talked about it off-air, how maybe there needs to be a harsher penalty uh, for failing post-race well, inspection, because the guys aren't losing a well, lot. Well, uh, this week no. actually changed a little bit. Uh, yeah, Harvick, it was an enhanced weekend. Yes, and both Harvick and Kane failed tech three times, so not only did they lose their starting spot. They lost their car chief and 10 points on top of that. Yeah. And, and what they did, they checked in. It was, it was essentially a two day show at, uh, at Pocono for the cup cars. And there was no pre qualifying tech. All the tech took place after qualifying. So that's why it led to a little bit, uh, to a little bit of that. You're going to see the same thing take place, uh, this weekend at, uh, Watkins Glen, they're going to have a similar setup. That it'll be a two-day show for the Cup cars again. They'll they'll actually uh, go in Saturday and do their practice and qualifying and race Sunday. So yeah, and that and that's an unusual thing because uh, that last last uh, last week was a scheduled uh, a fourteen-hour day for the Cup garage. They went in at six. And the, the the garage was scheduled to close at eight o'clock, and after they had the uh, technical problems with thirteen cars not passing it, some teams did not get out of the garage area until till well past ten o'clock. So that that's an extremely long day. I, and and I just a, go ahead. Uh, just a note on that: because of that, this weekend at Watkins Glen. Uh, yes, it's an enhanced weekend, but they're not doing post-qualifying tech until 8 a.m. Sunday morning. So the cars will be impounded after qualifying, and we won't know the official starting lineup until Sunday of the race. And I'll tell you the reason for that is because they got a it's, it's a twin bill up there, and they've got the uh, Xfinity cars racing, and, and uh, the Xfinity, Xfinity race starts late on Saturday afternoon, and many of the inspectors... Uh, that work for NASCAR uh, actually pull double duty and, and do both races. So that's probably one of the reasons they're going to have to uh, shift and do that uh, Sunday morning. That's got to be a so little. If we if if we have inspection after you know everybody's left the track and we can get rid of pole to have people throw poles away by NASCAR, why can't we do that for race wins now? That is a good question. Yeah. Well, NASCAR's just, you know, that's just the thing that NASCAR's done for, for years and years, and I agree with you 100%. You know, there's there's no there's no bite or no teeth in any of in really the rules that they have. They, you know, people will do a lot of different things, and I'll tell you, if I know that I'm not going to have to give up the win in a lot of cases, I'm going to uh, I'm going to stretch those rules as far as I can. That's just, you know, the way it is and the way it all always is until and it'll be that way until nascar decides they want to do different and then you know we've asked that same question for the last 50 years yeah now the the thing i'm thinking here so now we're going to impound the cars after qualifying at watkins Glen, and 
the, so the the strategists have no idea where their car is going to be started. They don't know whether or not they they pass tech. Um, now, now mind you, on a, on a long oval race, uh, you know, starting position is really not that important. But uh, track position it, is means a lot at uh, at Watkins Glen. Wouldn't you Wouldn't you say this is a little nerve wracking to not know where you're starting to play oh, yeah, strategy? Ab- mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and may I add one th- uh, other thread to this? There is a good chance of rain Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the Glen. And yes, rain tires are going to be on hand for the Canaan Pro East, the Xfinity Series, and the Cup Series. And you, and you know, I read an interesting new rule of NASCAR made that they're going to ban windshield wipers unless it's raining. That starts next year. Yeah, but I mean, why? You know, why make well, the rule? They so we're banning windshield wipers in uh, dry conditions. It, are, it, is there it, some advantage to windshield wipers? There is actually. Yes, there's a downforce deal that you can put the car, you can put the windshield wiper on the car, and position it on the windshield. Either it can it at an angle or anything, and it is it is several counts of downforce in the wind tunnel. So basically, what they're going to do, you'll have the stud that the, that the arm mounts on. It'll protrude through the windshield, but it will not be put on in, until uh, until there is rain. And on. On top of that, teams are also making windshields of different sizes to try to get more of an advantage. And yeah. that was evident at Sonoma earlier this year when a handful of teams had ones that were about two to three inches taller than all the others. Yeah, and see, that's, okay. that's, yeah. Why, that's, that's been going on forever. That That's not going to change. But basically... Guys, that's that's the nature of the sport. I mean, these guys are paid to stretch the rules, and they're going to continue to do it uh, unless you start doing a spec a spec car that is handed to them, uh, and they don't have any control over building the car. You know, that's the only way you're gonna you're gonna clean clean stuff like that up. And let's talk about these these infractions during the during the things. There's not a lot of not. That's a fine line between a legal car and an illegal car in NASCAR now with the with the new Hawkeye system. Though we're talking, uh, we're not. We're talking hundreds and thousands of inches in, in some of these measurements. And these guys have learned a lot of different ways how to how to beat the uh, to, to beat that system. It's one one thing that came out a couple of weeks ago where they can even even the paint job on the back of the car in the back corner of the car, or the right rear corner of the car, where it, where it uh, lines up with the rear uh, quarter panel. You can, you, can, uh, you can change your color scheme to where you have a blacked-out portion of the car that will confuse the Hawkeye and give it, give it a different measurement. These guys are sharp, man. They don't, they don't miss a lot of stuff. And if there's any, any area that they can find to, to encroach on, they're going to do it. And that's just that's that's why the business has has always been. You don't have to like it, but you know that's just the way it is. And these guys are gonna are gonna fudge the limits, and that's what they're paid to do. All right, so let, let's turn our attention back to the race for a moment because I didn't want to didn't want to mention that we had uh, some some unfamiliar names here at the top. Some of these younger guys, Daniel Suarez uh, with the second place there, uh, Alex Bowman in third. And then uh, young Eric Jones, who uh, won a race earlier this year, um, taking a top five. So, uh, so what what, do you, what are your thoughts on some of these young guys here? Suarez is he is he ready to is he ready to contend and win? Well, he's in a good car. I mean, oh, yeah. no doubt about it. And, he, and he's he's got another year experience in that car. So yeah, 
uh, he and he and Eric Jones are about uh, on equal footing with with Joe Gibbs, and I think it's just a matter of time. Uh, I was impressed with Suarez when he ran uh, the the All Star race at Charlotte. We we spoke of that uh, the week after that, how well he ran and how and 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 what a great race he drove there. So yeah, it's he's he's on the verge of 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 being uh, being getting in victory lane and, and that speaks to the equipment he's in and, and of course obviously he's got he's got talent or Joe Gibbs want to want to put him in put him in that ride. You know, and one other thing too is the Chevrolets probably had one of their best uh uh runs of the of the year with uh Chevy's finishing sprinkled throughout the top ten. Eric Bowman uh ran well. Uh Kyle Larson ran well well uh, uh Chase Elliott ran well during during the race. So Chevrolet had a little bit to uh, to cheer about. Uh, Ryan Newman uh, finished seventh, so eighth. Uh, uh, eighth. That's right. They had him seventh at the end of the race, and after they checked the cards and everything at the end, he was he was uh, awarded eighth place. So good runs for the for the for the Chevy teams. That's probably one of their better races. Uh, Chevy's only won one race this this season so far, and that was the season opening Daytona 500. So yeah. We still talk about Chevrolet being kind of behind the eight ball, but uh, we're seeing a little bit of a uh, little bit of, of a resurgence from the Chevy teams. And just to add to that, you had Chase Elliott drive up through the field to win a stage, the first stage of the race. You had William Byron stay out on old tires and lead ten laps before Kevin Harvick eventually ran him down. You had. Uh, Jimmy Johnson running inside the top 10 until a late pitch strategy put him deeper in the field. McMurray was up front until he had a cut tire. Uh, just about all the Chevys were running fairly well for, mm-hmm. well, a change this season. Yep. And that, and that gives uh, the, the, you know, the Chevy teams a little bit of a ray of sunshine, a little, little light at the end of the tunnel, so to speak. So, Looking forward to seeing them. I don't think, you know, I think this weekend you, in a road course, that's a little bit of an equalizer there. Uh, so I don't think we'll see, like, you know, some of the stuff that we see on some of the ovals, particularly the mile and a half where Chevrolet has really struggled. So we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll get a better picture of that if Chevrolet has found a little bit of stuff. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. We go to Michigan the following week, but uh, we, we we spoke uh, also of um, Bubba Wallace's incident late in the race. Uh, he had uh, some brake issues, had a brake rotor explode, and uh, left him without any brakes as he entered the ultra fast turn one. Went down through the grass to try to slow the car down and end up coming back across the uh, racetrack and uh, hit the. the uh, First turning wall broadside with the uh, right side of the car. One a pretty hard lick uh, destroyed the race car, of course, and uh, took Bubba a few minutes to to regain his composure and and, and climb from the car. So it was a was a scary incident for for uh, Bubba Wallace. And not only did 
it destroyed the car. It also broke the outside concrete wall that the safer barrier is attached to in three places. Yeah, yep. And I tell you, it's a lot of people. I I, I was going to Pocono many many years ago when when they had boilerplate walls in the corners. So you know, and, and there was no soft wall technology as there is today. So that there have been some terrible wrecks uh, through the years. Uh, you know, intern one. You know. Uh, Dale Earnhardt's wreck back in uh, in the in the eighties uh, comes to mind. Uh, Richard Petty's wreck comes to mind. Bobby Allison's wreck, uh, another one, another one of the big wrecks in first turn there uh, over the years. So, uh, yeah, Bubba's fortunate to, to walk away with just a little, just a little bit shaken up. Yeah, all you had was a uh, bitten cheek and a sore foot. Yep, and saw him today. He was supposed to participate in the uh, Dillon Brothers three-on-three uh, uh, three basketball uh, tournament that they held today, and I think he did get out on the court a little bit, and, and but uh, he didn't uh, didn't compete like he like he probably would have. Still, probably nursing a little bit of uh, bumps and bruises. Yeah, yeah, that that turn one at Pocono could be something else. I, re- I recall. Uh, a uh, real bad IndyCar wreck with uh, Johnny Rutherford. Uh, I want to say it was in '85 or somewhere. '82. '82, yeah. So uh, yeah, that was that was a pretty bad wreck too. So, uh, but anyway, well, you're going so, so fast, down yeah. That that's a long straightaway too. It's a long straightaway. Mm-hmm. So, but I want to talk about Watkins Glen again for a second. Now, Seth, you mentioned that there's a really good chance of rain. So now, have we had a? Uh, uh, a points-paying cup race in full-on wet conditions. That I, I remember a exhibition race in Japan years and years ago. But uh, I mean, have the, we have we had an actual cup race in the rain yet? The, the closest that we've come, there was a practice session in the rain back in I want to say 1998. There's photos of Mark Martin and Dale Earnhardt Sr. at Watkins Glen driving in the rain. Uh, I don't think uh, they ran well enough to be confident in the rain tires that they had back then uh, compared to now. So otherwise, no, we have not. No, and so so this, you, this uh, could be, yeah, this could be a, a first for NASCAR. Yeah. If, you know, if the, if, the, if, the, if the rains come. Well, the Xfinity teams have run many races oh, in the rain. Oh, yeah. They've run, run several at Montreal uh, in the rain, and so, they ran good races too. Yeah, they uh, ran uh, road. Was it Road America or Mid Ohio that they both. ran in the rain? Both. They've run both there in the rain. So the the actually the some of the Xfinity drivers and the guys that have have had experience, like uh, you know Suarez and and Eric Jones, some of those guys have probably got more uh, racing in the wet experience than than the uh, the top Cup drivers now do. Side note: Bring Joe Villeneuve circuit back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he put on a show, no doubt about it. Yep, he did at Montreal several times. And I will also say, uh, the there are a handful of Cup drivers that probably do at least have some limited experience in the rain. Say AJ Allmendinger with his oh, yeah. uh, road yeah. racing background. Mm-hmm. You may you uh, Jamie was, McMurray. Yeah, his, his, I'll his say son. Jamie McMurray. So there, it would be interesting to see a race in the rain to see whether the ones who have had experience in the past, if they would run well in the heavy cup car compared to the sports cars or even the lower down or the uh, lower uh, horsepower Xfinity cars. Yeah, yeah, that 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 uh, 200 extra horsepower in, uh, make a big difference in the wet, no doubt about it. 
But, uh, you know, you was, we were talked about the big three. Uh, Kyle Busch, again, wins wins uh, his sixth, tying, uh, tying Harvick. So you've got, uh, out of the first 21 races, uh, Harvick, Bush, and Truex have won 16 of the first 21 races. And we were looking, thinking back, you know, uh, is this unprecedented or anything? And I think somebody... I was hearing today said that in 1974, through the first 20 races, Cale Yarborough, David Pearson, and Richard Petty won 19 of the of of 20. I believe in 1974, somewhere along in there. Seth, you can you can check that. That, that is correct. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's it's not totally unprecedented, but it is. Uh, these guys are these guys are on a tear right now, and uh, you know. Don't don't see it ending uh, anytime soon. Uh, the last I checked, uh, between Truex, Harvick, and Kyle Busch, they've won seventy four percent of the season. The highest percentage between two or three drivers, it was Dale Earnhardt Sr. and I believe Jeff Gordon in ninety four or ninety five, and. It was ninety four percent of the season, and that's that's, that's a lot. Impressive. Yeah. Yep. Yep. All right. So, Seth, there's some news coming out of the truck series. Uh, no, Noah Gregson. Let, let's let's yeah, go over at, that story a little bit. At Pocono, uh, Noah was fighting a stomach bug, and he had been to the infield care center three times on Friday, their practice day. On Saturday morning, he went back there a fourth time. Then they were preparing to qualify. He was standing next to his truck when he passed out. Uh, He obviously did not make a qualifying attempt. He was whisked whisked away to the infield care center where the doctor decided that he was not healthy enough to compete. He was given a waiver for medical reasons and Eric Jones was tabbed to be his substitute driver, gave Kyle Busch a run for his money, uh, ended up finishing runner-up to Busch, who tied Hornaday's uh, record for win totals in the truck series. And that total is? 51. 51. There you go. But, uh, so so we're, off to, we're off to Watkins Glen, like we talked about. We've got... Uh, the doubleheader up there, right? The Xfinity cars and the Cup cars are running. Yes, and the K and N cars. And a side note to that: uh, Sunday's win for Kyle Busch was his 49th Cup win. He is at 192 wins total across the three national series. Quite impressive for a, a someone that as young as he is. I mean, he's only 33 years old, and got really, really when you look at. Uh, Race car drivers, he's just now hitting what we would consider his prime. Oh, so, absolutely, uh, yeah. He's got a, got he, a lot if, of good years. If he drives left. another, right? If he drives another ten years, he's he's going. To, I mean, I doubt he'll. You know, no one's ever going to catch Richard Petty, but he's got a shot at uh, really catching a lot of people. I think he's tied for thirteenth now uh, on the all-time list. So uh, uh, at forty-nine. So next, next, next. Uh, when he gets his 50, I think he ties, what, Ned Jarrett and uh, Lee Petty? Or maybe Ned's got 55, but he's, he's going he's gonna to start really moving up the ranks here and, and you know, with, his, with his next uh, series of wins. 
Absolutely, yeah. So, guys, before we move on and talk about IndyCar, you want to go around the table and, and take a pick for Watkins Glen? Yeah, sure. All right, who wants the first pick? Chris? Uh, I'll do Kyle Busch. Okay. And uh, Joey? Uh, I'll say A.J. Allmendinger. Okay. Um, Seth? Daniel Suarez. All right, good pick. And then Gray for you? Wow, if it rains, I'm gonna tell you. Hmm, we're gonna see. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say uh, if it rains, we'll have to go with. I like your pick, by the way, of of of, uh, of AJ. That that'll, that uh, that might uh, if it rains, that might really come come into play. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna go with. Um, I'm gonna go with Truex. All right, and I'm gonna go with Clint Boyer. So. Uh... So let's let's move on to uh, IndyCar. So uh, Joey, Chris, you guys spent the weekend in Mid Ohio. Um, Alexander Rossi uh, took the pole, took the win. Um, Two stop strategy worked out just perfectly for them. But the real star of the show was um, Sebastian Bourdais, was it not? Uh, yeah, he uh, had a bit of a off qualifying after he had an incident on his uh, outlap in the first round of qual in the first group of qualifying that he was in. Uh, fortunately, he did not get a chance to post uh, a single time, so he started uh, last, 24th on the field. Um, executed a three-stop strategy uh, very, very boldly and drove really, really hard and was able to climb all the way up to sixth position by the end of the race, which is a really, really strong effort for Bourdais. And um, talking with Craig Hampson after the race, he's a race engineer. It was uh, even more impressive when you consider the fact that the engineer, the mechanics had to spend uh, a decent amount of time there the night before actually changing out the gearbox on the car. So that had a uh, that had a little bit of uh, prestige to the drive as well. Yeah, and the other, uh, the also other thing to, to point out there with that drive is that it was the drive from the back to the front was done without the aid of any yellow. The, the entire race went green, so there was no bunching the field. You know, no no catching up to the, the field. And that was all on his own on his own speed and pace. Which was a real surprise when you consider the fact that every single practice session had, like, I think two or three red flags, and qualifying had a couple of red flags, too. Uh, there was a lot of, you know, people saying, oh, yeah, we're going to have, like, three or four cautions. Oh, no. It was caution-free, just like it was in 2012 and 2013. And uh, I think if I remember right, Rossi was the only driver that actually executed two-stop strategy and ended up you know, winning by 12 seconds over Wickens, and I think Will Power was third. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Will I Power look at third, yep. Yeah, go ahead, Joey. I, I just look at the situation, and I, I'm kind of laughing a little bit because everywhere that you would expect Scott Dixon to be strong and, and just unbeatable, we look at Mid-Ohio, we looked at – at a place like Watkins Glen to fit his style. Every single time that that Dixon has shown up at these racetracks lately, the guy that he's always having to try to go through is Alexander Rossi. So when we're talking about the championship, you know, we saw him close the gap in that championship too. Like Scott Dixon's lead now I think is like 41 points or something like that. So, you know, to go from, from outside at 50 points to closing it down, if this thing continues, you know, Gateway is still a relative unknown with just one race there, and it's a brand-new Aero kit, so we don't know what we got there. And in Portland, we've only seen a few of these drivers compete at Portland, and that was, what, a decade ago or more? So, you know, you run into a situation where it, it, this, the rest of the season's 
really interesting as it, as it's starting to take shape. And I think that when you're looking at guys like Rossi with this two-stop strategy, obviously Rob Edwards. We, we heard Mo, uh, Jer- Jeremy last week say that a lot of this aggressive strategy calls were Rob Edwards. And, you know, here we go with the two-stopper. I don't know why more teams didn't at least try it. But, you know, when you really start to look at this thing, you've got to wonder, okay, well, between Pinsky and Andretti and, and Chip Ganassi, you know, I think maybe Andretti does have the upper hand as we start going towards the end here. And, you know, I think the other thing, and we should get into it here uh, shortly, is Dixon's contract it was definitely one of those things discussed at Mid-Ohio. Where is he going? What's the speculation there? And how much does this championship factor into if he stays at Chip Ganassi Racing or not? Because you've got to wonder, based on how much they're willing to give him and based on how much they're, they have budget-wise to keep everything going, where is this thing going to continue to move? So there's a, to me, there was a lot coming out of Mid-Ohio, maybe more than, than just the typical great race great finish by Rossi. I think there's a lot of different unique storylines coming. coming. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details the voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner and down to the uh to the end of the season here yeah not the least of which was the fantastic crowd they had on hand too i mean that yeah. that place was absolutely packed yeah so but like see yeah, we'll talk about dixon's contract in a minute but i wanted to get into this because i i want to say that some people are making a bigger deal out of this than they should but but rossi backing up the field at the start I mean, that's a classic road racing move. I mean, I, I remember when I used to race Formula Vs a little bit. I, I never actually started from the front row. I wasn't that good to, to back up the field on my own, but, but guys would always do that. Um, but, I mean, is it, I mean it, it looked like you know, backed him up a little more than usual. But do you, think it was, do you think it was dirty? Do you think it was out of line? I think it's it was a case. I think it was a case of the rest of the field were trying to accelerate and anticipate the start and they really messed themselves up and really there wasn't anything to investigate because it was the back of the field getting too anxious for it right right um same thing like with world power at the end of the race in st petersburg in 2014 um when they had the incident there so i mean people were just too anxious there at the start of the race and some people had sour grapes about it yeah Yeah, but i I want to say like the television people made a bigger deal out of it than it than it needed to be you know, I especially certain Mr. Paul Tracy, you know. So, but I mean, it's it's a classic, you know, restart move, start move. You you back up the field, you know. It, but Tracy called it a break check. Yeah, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned his name because he was he's been an advocate for trying to find a villain in IndyCar for a while, right? Yeah. And so mm-hmm. when somebody does something that's questionable, he's quick to call him out on it. And, and you know what? For my money, anything that you do. In that situation, you know, barring wrecking somebody and spinning them out at the beginning of the race, it's gamesmanship. You know, the, the, we, we see where the pace car is as they're starting to pull off, and we see the field starting to get filed up. And, you know, the way that I've always looked 
at a start of a race is is you go on the leader. Whatever the speed, whatever the situation, you're going on the leader. And I know that there's certain minimums and maximums set in the standard, but it's all about the leader trying to get that advantage that they and they earn that right based on qualifying. So, you know, you, you're over here looking at turn one, and it's you know I think that 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 situation plays out. I think it's gamesmanship, and I I don't hold anything. It's not like Paul Tracy's probably never done that in his entire career. So. You know, you, you look at that, and then I don't have a fault with it. And however they want to look at it is however they want to look at it. I don't think that at the end of the day with that two-stop strategy and considering that the, the margin of victory was by like 14 seconds, you I don't think anybody can argue that that actually impacted the outcome of the race because it didn't. No, it didn't. No, but uh, but you and I agree. Yeah, there was nothing nothing wrong with the move. So, But um, this day, let's talk about... Uh, Second place finisher there. Another great run um, from Robert Wickens. I mean, this, this guy's got to win, you know, certainly if not before this season's up, but uh, he's got to gotta, you know, go into the next season pretty strong, huh? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this also is just how in sync the Schmidt-Peterson group is right now and, and how they've been since Pierce Phillips and everybody kind of came together to kind of get everything pointed in one direction, and we've seen what can happen. I mean, Andretti Autosport, we've talked about in the past, they've relied on continuity. And with Schmidt-Peterson, you're looking at a group that's trying to just find the right talent and point them all in the right direction. And I think that when you're looking at engineering, driver lineup, everything is going one direction, and that's forward. And that's why we've seen some of the runs we've seen out of Hinch. I think that's a big product of why we've seen Robert Wickens. And Everyone's looking at this guy and saying, well, you know, he's a rookie and he's running really well. Well, when you look at his resume, he's not your traditional rookie. And I think that that time in DTM and driving a little bit heavier car after the fact that he's had some some experience in single-seaters before then, you know, it's only going to play to his advantage coming in and and running this. Uh, I would like to sit there and look at the schedule and say that if there's a a place before the end of the year that he wins – I think you really look at Portland. You know, it's it's relatively you know flat, and you know that kind of style maybe plays to his advantage from what we've seen with the way that street circuits play out. And I mean, not that he necessarily has a weakness as we've seen so far. I think Pocono is going to be an eye opener for him for sure. But a Gateway, based on how he did at Phoenix, you got to think that he's going to be pretty stout there. I think it's just a matter of making sure that that they continue to hit on the right setups and get everything pointed in the right direction. And, and yeah, I th- absolutely think that if, if not this time, if not this win coming this year, he's definitely going to be winning in the first three or four rounds next year because he's just been absolutely good. All right, absolutely, yeah. So now now let's get back to talking about Dixon's contract, okay? So there's, there's a lot of talk. A lot of different talk. We've got, uh, you know, Dixon interested in McLaren. McLaren, are they coming? Are they not? You know, we've heard, we've heard they are. We've heard they're not. We've heard they they said we're not not coming. Uh, you know, um, we're bringing Alonso. We're not bringing Alonso. Alonso's going to Ferrari. Uh, then, then the latest is uh, we've got Colton Herta testing with um, with Mike Harding's team. We've got a rumored. Um, Harding as a junior Andretti team next year to maybe farm out some of their talent. So, uh, uh, I mean, how much, you know, and, and Dixon, we're talking about, you know, Dixon, you know, obviously Ganassi would like to retain Dixon, um, but I, 
the word is that people are throwing bigger numbers in front of Dixon than he's seen in his career. Um, you know, whether you believe that or not, Dixon's kind of quiet himself. He just says, he, you know, focus on the championship, things that work out. So, but, uh, realistically, Joey, Chris, what do you, what are you guys hearing that, uh, that seems to be more, more rooted in truth than others? I mean, I'm going to let Chris run with this one. I've got an opinion about, about how things are right now, but that's not necessarily based on facts. So, all right. Uh, I honestly, I just heard what y'all have heard. Uh, um, apparently Penske's trying to get Dixon, which I don't blame him. I mean, Dixon's probably, if you look at it, statistically speaking, he's the most talented driver of the last 25 years. Um, I mean, Penske wanting him, I mean, I can't see why not. Um, as for Harding, uh, they're going to have a rotating bunch of seats over the last few races. Um, with Colton Herta testing for them at Portland, you know, Hey, they might even run him in at Sonoma. I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I I can't see why not. At that point, the Indy Light season's over let with. Me, let um, me ask you this, Chris. Yeah. Based on the three driver lineup that's at Penske right now, all three champions, uh, and the fact that at come Indy, you're running a fourth car and it's Elio. Stay uh, with three full time entries, and you you don't really. Have have the budget to go and expand that to four and then make it five entries in Indy 500 next year, assuming that you go with three drivers. If, if by some chance he decides to say, hey, I think I do want to come over to Rogers' team in that situation because... Pagano. I, I See, but you, you look at last year. He's the runner-up uh, last year in the championship. He's also the guy that won the championship the year before. I don't know. I, I understand Scott Dixon's an elite talent, you can't but, give it to Newgarden because he just won the last championship and he's won a, a few races, you know, this year. And Power just won the Indy 500 for you, and is, he's probably, I think, Penske's most successful driver ever, other than Rick Mears. What have you done for me lately? I, win the Indy 500. Yeah, yeah, In case. Yeah, but I look at this situation though, and this is kind of where my frame of mind is with this: is if you're in a situation like Scott Dixon. It's it kind of works a few ways, right? Like, a you're leaving Mike Hole potentially, who you've won a lot of races with, who y'all have got a really good relationship. Has this, and and that kind of goes into the Chad Canals Jimmy Johnson situation. And has it worn out its welcome, or are y'all just starting to just is that just part of the relationship dynamic? Um, but I think the other end of that spectrum is also like you've associated Chip Ganassi Racing and Scott Dixon, Scott Dixon. If he could go off on his own to another team and prove that he can win at a higher level or an equal level, then we're going to look at it and, and go, well, that's more Scott Dixon than it was Chip Ganassi Racing because we've seen how the other cars at Chip Ganassi Racing have performed over the last four or five years. So I think there's a lot of variables that go into play like that. But at the other end of that, you know, I don't recall every single person that you know Mario Andretti drove for. But I still remember what, what his legacy is with his wins and his polls and everything like that. So to me, when I look at Scott Dixon, if this is based on trying to build your own legacy beyond it, and I doubt that that's the case, but if that is the case, I don't think anybody's going to remember if it was for Chip Ganassi Racing or anybody else. I think they're just going to remember Scott Dixon for what he was able to accomplish. And if that's the case, why change a good thing? The only yeah. thing I would yeah. reply in uh, 
as opposing that is that mirrors a lot of the reason why some people remember him is because he only drove for Roger Penske. That being said, the only other thing I want to bring up with Scott Dixon, I mean, people saying McLaren this and, you know, throwing out other observations like that is, assuming for the sake of argument that he does go to Roger Penske, I mean, his sports car ride is going to change up, obviously, because Penske does have a sports car program now in prototypes and scott has driven the ford gt for them especially at lamar a couple of times at the rolex 24 um well so here's that's, that's going to have a change as well here's the funny here's the funny domino effect of the scott dixon situation is is that if he decides to leave the hot top topic of discussion is is that board a would be the guy that comes in to fill that seat and Ooh. we've we've seen board a for a, quite a while race for teams that you know he, he's punching well above his weight so if he finally got with the team again, like he was back in the day with Newman Haas, if he could finally, during the IndyCar era, be with a team, not that Dale Coyne Racing is is somebody to, to shove over because clearly they know what to do and they know how to win, and, but to go to a, to a place that's established with that many wins and that many championships, to give Bourdais that opportunity, again, this is all hypothetical. This is all rumor mill, but you got to wonder, with the contract, from what I understand, being a two-year deal that he signed a couple years ago, so it expires at the end of this year, you kind of wonder, Board A getting that opportunity, what could that then entail? I think this is just my, the beginning of many dominoes. My question that I'm looking at is, would Board A insist that Craig Hampson come back as his engineer? Because Craig Craig's bent was with Sebastian back when he was at Newman Haas, and he was at... KVSH racing back in 2015, and now with the two of them together, they by far are one of the closest connected pairs. Uh, heck, even when Sebastian was in Formula One, he would call Craig like once a month to talk about what was going on in Formula One. They are connected. The driver engineer or strategist relationship is a very, very, very powerful one, especially in IndyCar, and having Craig Hampson and maybe even Olivier Boisson with him at Ganassi would help make that team rise to an even greater level than what they are now, because yeah. you need all pieces working together as one. Yeah, so this is, my, all, this is all speculation. My crystal ball sees Dixon in the nine car next year. You know that, but I, but it's fun to talk about all the other possibilities if if Dixon makes a move. So, but the more intriguing one for me is is well, is the the Steinbrenner coming in with Colton Herta as a partners with Andretti and Harding to to expand Harding's driver lineup to two and have them under the uh, under the Andretti umbrella there. So uh, uh, we know Steinbrenner's ready to step up to IndyCar owner. We know Colton Herta. Uh, certainly possesses the talent, uh, you know, and he'll he'll be in the Harding car uh, coming up for testing soon. So, um, I mean, what are your thoughts on that, the alliance with Andretti? That that seems like a a positive way to keep uh, keep Herta in the family there, uh, you know, since there's not an open seat for him. It's a lot of change for one team over their inception, right? Like last year, it was a few races with with the Chevy Aero kit, and now we have to change everything over to the, this year to the universal kit Honda and, and unite ourselves with the team. I'm not saying that these are bad steps to take, but that is a lot of change that happening. Like I, I just I look at that and maybe it's admitting a mistake and you needed more footing. I'm not hundred percent sure may continue to lean up on your own two feet. But 
Yeah, I mean, Andretti gets to farm out some of his talents because you don't want anybody like Pato Award and Colton Herta in the Indy Lights realm right now because, I mean, both are just top-tier talents. And I think that when you run into the situation, from what I've seen, um, the one guy that's probably in question for the future is actually Marco uh, over there with the, with the Andretti Herta entry. Supposedly, according to what Racer said, um, there's one other team out there that are that's seeking his services. So obviously, if he were to take a step away from from Dad's team, who knows what possibilities that opens up? Um, all of this being what, crazy. What so, team do you uh, think is interested in Marco, though? I mean, that's that's I mean that's the one. That's what I can't figure out. Which is the I don't team? Know, is, I mean, is is it Yunkos? Is it uh, you know? Is it somebody looking to that, that needs the funding that maybe Marco could bring some name, name well, recognition and some money? I just I just can't put my finger on who is who is out there that's that's really looking at Marco and Yunkos is the, the first that comes I mean, to may, mind. I, you know, I was actually kind of thinking it might be Chip Ganassi if uh, if Scott is cons- largely considering going somewhere else. But that, I don't actually know the answer to that question. But I guess where I'm going with this is George Michael Steinbrenner the fourth, the the part time owner of the Andretti Steinbrenner Racing and Indy Lights for Colton Herta. I've been thinking for a long time that whenever he goes to step up, that we would probably see the Steinbrenner Racing and Colton Herta would be in that car. Uh, that said, and then, and then we would see just the typical traditional four-car team for Andretti Autosport. That said, I think that's a very interesting variable because, you know, with what George Michael can do, we know that wherever Colton's going is where he's going. Is it going to be Harding, Steinbrenner Racing? Is it going to be, you know, one of those very long, twisted names that are a bunch of partnerships? That it still remains to be seen. But I think that no matter what the situation is, we're going to see a partnership affiliated with Andretti. It's just a matter of, is it going to be McLaren or is it going to be Harding? But I think for drivers out there with potential funding available to where Harding can eventually grab a two-car team. And and a lot of people getting up in arms over Gabby versus Connor and all this. I, I think this is mostly to help make sure that everything that Gabby is saying for feedback's sakes also is everything that Connor's saying. And it's another way to help direct the program in one direction, much like we've seen with Schmidt-Peterson all trying to point themselves in the right direction and go forward. I think this is a similar thing, so it's nothing to get too up in arms about. Yeah, I mean, said, Harding's, Harding's, I think, yeah. Ma- Harding's maintained all along that Gabby is their guy for next year. Uh, you know, as hard as it is for Gabby to sit on the sidelines, they maintain that yeah, Gabby's their full-time guy next year. They just need the, to do the driver development, the feedback and whatnot, so... I think it's also a case that Harding knows you've got a lot of guys on the engineering side that haven't, or, or even on the management side, that haven't necessarily been on a team role in quite a while, and they're still trying to find their footing. Like a lot of these guys were with the series itself, and like Brian Barnhart comes to mind, and there's a few other names that I'm, I'm missing off the top of my head that they announced at Barber that were affiliated with IndyCar. These are guys that have been affiliated with the series that are trying to learn what it's like to kind of go back from a team perspective. And I think there's some learning to be had there as well as trying to learn a new car. You know, for Brian Barnhart, this is many, many years since his team situation. Uh, I think it was back in the early 90s was the last time he was part of a team. That's about right, yeah. So to go from from that to this uh, and trying to direct a team forward, you know, I think this is all part of the learning process. And when you're going up against Penske's and Ganassi's and guys like that and Andretti's, it's going to be tough to, to find footing to move forward. So it's it's all going to be a tough learning curve. All right. Well, thanks for that, Joey. Now, Chris, I want to talk about the Mazda Road to Indy program, which will no longer be the Mazda Road to Indy program. 
uh, next year. Mazda is changing their. I, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly how they put it. They want to change the their motorsports footprints uh, or something along those lines. But they're 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 looking to invest their motorsports uh, program elsewhere. So it kind of leaves yeah, kind of leaves uh, Mazda behind. So uh, so let's uh, let's talk about that a little bit. It's 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 really sad because. Mazda's the program for so long, but I mean, of course, things do run their course. They've given about what over twelve million dollars in scholarships to drivers moving up through the ladder, and without Mazda, some of these drivers that are in IndyCar today wouldn't be there right now. Um, and some drivers that are in Indy Lights and Pro Mazda, you know, wouldn't be there without these scholarships. Uh, Mazda's given out a lot of hope to drivers like Victor Franzoni, who, without the scholarship he won after winning Pro Mazda last year, he wouldn't be in Indy Lights this year. Um, They've done an amazing job promoting driver development in the United States, and it's, it is sad seeing them with, but, uh, you know, they will, to their credit, pay out the scholarships for this year and also pay out the scholarship for the uh, uh, shootout winner for USA 2000 later on this year in December, excuse me, when they have that shootout uh, to see who's going to go into the road dandy with, with a Mazda scholarship, so... You know, good, kudos to them for doing that, and Anderson Promotions is... You know, actively looking to try and find a new partner for the Road to Indy to continue the scholarship program, and we'll hopefully have a new partner for that come you know be announced pretty soon. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, was this was this out of the blue or or had because I hadn't heard any rumblings of this. It just kind of, but I mean, has have there been little talk about this in the in the in the paddock and garage, or did this just uh, come out of the blue? No, I hadn't heard anything about it, but I'm necessarily happy with you know the. Probably being car this year, there were a lot of a few quite a few engines trying to buy it. But um, I mean, let's face it: when you have a new car, there's going to be some small issues that pop up. Um, but this was something for me that was out of the blue. Um, of course, when you look at development, rather than have the formula, it's out of, it's out of the day because they've been in it since the very beginning. That's how I got the name Mazda Rodindi after all. So you know, had to see, but I mean, hey. Set sail on Mazda. We uh, we thank you for what you did. All right, so um, guys, I'm gonna I'm gonna apologize that uh, that we're getting a lot of people cutting out, um, and I think it's just a lot of storms in the area. So we've got a few minutes to talk about Formula One. Uh, so um, Lewis Hamilton. One more thing, if I may. Yeah, go right I ahead. May. Yeah, I can hear you so, now. So we we did have the USF 2000 Series uh, Championship actually get clinched at Mid Ohio. Kyler Kirkwood won his, I want to say, ninth race in a row at the uh, third race of the uh, weekend, uh, the triple header weekend. But it was after the first race on Friday that he clinched the championship, and he's, I think he's won, he's won ten out of twelve races so far, with nine of them uh, being in a row. So Kirkwood has done a fantastic job this year, and his points lead was so great actually after the second race. At, mid-Ohio, that he actually had as many points as second and third place in the championship combined. Uh, such has been his dominance this year, and really what it comes down to is that you have to be consistent, and every driver outside of him has finished outside the top ten at least once, and Kirkwood has never finished below fifth place. So it's like all wins, a second, a fifth, and then that's it. Um, but he went on three races, Renus VK swept up the Pro Mazda weekend, and Pato Award swept the uh, Indy Lights weekend at Mid-Ohio. So it was really just a weekend full of brooms for the road to Indy. 
<laughs> Weekend full of brooms. I like that. That's pretty funny. So, All right, so Formula One is on their month-long winter break. Uh, but they did race at the Hungara Ring before we, uh, before they take their take their um, so their summer break. There, um, uh, Hamilton won his fifth race of the season. Did you guys have a chance to watch the uh, the Formula One race? I, I, I didn't. Um, I heard there was some drama at the end with uh, Valtteri. It was a typical Hungarian race, uh, except you saw Christian Horner have a. Uh, a nice rant about Renault when Max Verstappen's engine decided to stop and on the side of the road. There's a Max Verstappen engine was stopping, huh? Yes. That's funny. So, so the bigger news out of Formula One, other, other than the race, the Force India purchase has been, you know, rumored to be, you know, everyone from Fresh Energy drinks to uh, Michael Andretti's name was thrown around. And the latest one is, uh, you know, Papa Stroll, uh, Lawrence Stroll, um, going to buy the team, but it looks like uh, some of the other teams there are uh, trying to block them from uh, keeping uh, Force India's points money at the end of the year. So, uh, now, Joey, you know, know a little bit about that. Maybe you can articulate that a little bit. We've got, I believe, McLaren uh, and Williams are both um, actively uh, against this. They would like uh, the new ownership of Force India to start over uh, just like they were a brand new team. Yeah, which is, you know, and that situation is kind of interesting because, you know, the, this is part of the back marker teams or mid marker teams that are continuing to say, well, we, we want some, some reinvigoration of the sport. We need the overall health of the sport to continue to, to move forward. But they're so quick to ensure that maybe we aren't going to have 20 cars on the grid. We're going to end up with 18. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that we had – you know, 22, 24, and here we are, and it, it continues to trickle down, and it's unfortunate. I, you run into a situation where the way it's been done traditionally is the top 10 in the manufacturer standings, constructor standings, get paid. Uh, and it varies from ridiculous amounts of money all the way down to where I believe 10th place would get $10 million uh, at the end of the season for the services. So, uh, you know, the fact that Force India in this case – if they finish, say, eighth in the standings, instead of getting a hold of what would be maybe around 25 to $30 million to help put into the team and, and whatnot, uh, ends up being something that they're not allowed to touch. So that money more or less goes into the sport or gets divided among the rest of the teams that are within the sport. And I, I believe it was mentioned before we went, went on air um, is – you know, Haas's situation, something around the fact that they can't touch money that they get before the season or after the season, rather, for three years um, since they're a relatively new team. Uh, you know, if that situation is the case, then that means that this structure that's being put in place, the block that's being put in place by Williams and by uh, McLaren, would then hinder the new owners from receiving payment at the end of the season for three years. So it's a really big asking price for an investor to come in and try to put in ridiculous astronomical amounts of money to try to keep up with some of these top-tier teams. And and that's part of the reason why, you know, it may have been a controversial move uh, with Sergio Perez from the outside looking in to put everything in administration. But from his press release and what was talked about is a lot of the employees came to him because he's actually one of the partners on the team because he's a paid driver that comes with a lot of backing and, 
and by putting them into administration, it gives them their jobs for a little bit longer to at least find a new investor. And essentially, the judge rules where, where the direction of the team goes versus just somebody from, say, Force India who's already kind of said, okay, I'm done with this, one of the chair, one of the chairman representatives, then in turn trying to sell the team outright to an individual owner. This more or less becomes a bidding war that a judge will seek out. So it, it's an interesting situation to be in. I want to know that you're essentially, you could have a deficit, I mean, put this into astronomical terms, over the next three years, the Force India were to place fifth in the championship, in the Constructors' Championship, that they could lose out on what's essentially somewhere around $100 million over a three-year span. And that money would get divvied up among the rest of the teams or within the sport. So it's a pretty big number and a pretty big ask for an investor to come in if they potentially can't touch that money the same way that, that they could have all along, if, if not for the block. Yeah, way I'm seeing as of 2017, 2017, each team was awarded 36 million uh, for simply, you know, re- racing, uh, living, you know, competing each week in, in Formula One. So that's uh, 36 million three years. That that is well over 100 million dollars that uh, you know that they lose. And the teams, the way I read it, in the, in the in the Concord Agreement that every team signed in 2013, that uh, teams have to race three consecutive years uh, to receive the uh, that bonus that we just talked about. All right, well, we'll see. I mean, this story is far from over what happens with Force India, you know, whether we have just 18 cars on the grid next year or if, or if uh, things fall in place to, to keep those two cars on the grid. But uh, what we are is out of time for for. Uh, this edition of Drafting the Circuit. So I want to thank uh, thank you, Greg, Chris, Joey, and Seth. Uh, appreciate you guys coming on. I want to thank uh, Hoobazoo Radio, iHeartRadio, uh, Speaker, and all you folks that tune in to listen to us every week. Have a good night. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.